Hello everyone, and welcome to our Employment Law Year in Review Regional Roundtable Series, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Philippe Durand, partner with Auguste de Bouzy in France. Each year, we kick off our program with a special series of Year in Review programs, broken down by region, and focusing on the most impactful regulations of the past year, as well as forecasting on important topics that will impact employers in the coming year, that is to say 2024. Today, joining us, we have two ELA members representing Portugal, our member there, and more precisely, we have Elena Tabroso, who is a partner with Moreis Letao in Lisbon, and also another partner from the same law firm, Pedro Pardal Gulao, We are very happy to have you today, and uh, hello, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. Happy to be here as well. Hello, everyone. Very glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Excellent. So let's get started. I would like maybe to start with you, Pedro, asking you the usual question we ask in this series to our member firms and friends. What would you say would be the most significant legal changes you have observed in Portugal in 2023 that impacted employers? Thank you, Philip, for the question. And I think that the answer is quite obvious in Portugal, as in 2023, there have been a wide amendment of the Portuguese Labour Code implementing the so-called decent work agenda that entered into force in May 2023. So basically, this was an amendment that covers a number of different topics and that therefore will and is already having a major impact on how companies deal with their HR-related problems in Portugal. This is for 2023. Just to give you also some background about the current year, which at least for the first and second quarters, we are not expecting any major changes on this front basically due to the fact that the Portuguese government late last year, so in November, has resigned. So there are new elections that are scheduled for next March. And so that's why in the first and second quarter, we are not expecting anything new. But that's good news for employment lawyers, as we certainly will have a kind of break period after a very, very busy period where we are still a kind of digesting those massive changes that happened in 2023. And definitely we do have a lot on our plates right now. Very good, Pedro. Now, referring to those changes, Helena, could you maybe give us a few examples that you could share with our audience today? Yeah, sure, Philip. Thank you. I think when we talk about the decent work agenda, and that's how it was known, all these changes, it impacted different areas. I'll just pinpoint a few of them. But I think the first notion that I think is important to mention is that these changes did not only affect new employment agreement. And what do we mean by this? Of course, the changes were effective, generally speaking, from the 1st of May last year onwards. Now, this didn't affect only new employment agreements, but it also affects in a number of issues existing. So employment agreements existing prior to that date. So that means that companies, not only those that were in a hiring mode, in a new hiring mode, but those that even were not hiring 
had to go back and check what amendments or changes they might have to implement. So just to pinpoint a few of them, I think there have been changes as far as, for instance, payment of overtime work. Historically, we had a moment where these were reduced and now the movement is the opposite movement. So we're seeing higher amounts for overtime pay, for instance, coming in. We are also seeing provisions that are increasing severance payments in different cases, cases like when fixed-term employments elapse and end. So there's been an increase. We now, uh, now compensation now was set up to 24 days of pay per full year of service in those cases. We also saw severance payments slightly increase when we talk about redundancies and collective dismissals. Again, you know, from 2011, 2012 onwards, we had sort of an initial big reduction on the amount of severance, then gradually we have seen that, you know, these have been sort of put in place. But of course, they don't apply retroactively. They will only apply for future. But for instance, the example I gave on fixed term severance compensation, when those employment agreements end, that affects pre-existing fixed term employment agreements. And there we're seeing a change that went you know, almost to the double of what was paid previously. I think other interesting changes, and, and, and please note that there were a number of, and we're just you know, pinpointing a few of them, but it's interesting to see that new provisions were included addressing specific concerns on work in the digital platform context, where our legislator decided to include a few conditions under which an employment agreement is presumed to have been put in place, even if the parties had agreed, for instance, on a freelance sort of model. And this, knowing that in Portugal we have specific rules whereby through labour inspection, specific lawsuits can be automatically triggered for a judge to decide on the misclassification or possible misclassification of those cases. This means that different things are happening. And of course, entities must look into the models that they had put in place that might not you know, be as effective or have the same impact with these changes. Interesting also to mention that there's new provisions implemented on the use of AI in the employment context, particularly in decision-making resorting to AI, and that means decision-making in hiring, in firing, in progression, in talent identification, profiling, monitoring. At the present point, we're talking about mainly information duties, but we're talking about information duties on the parameters, on the criteria, on the underlying sort of criteria for decision-making resorting to AI, which is, I think, a big challenge at this point. Let's see what comes when we finally have a new AI regulation in place in Europe. Two final notes would be, one, a new provision that states or that prohibits the possibility of making employees redundant, having, for instance, a collective dismissal to replace those activities by outsourced activities. Now, this is something that I think 
will have significant impact, especially because we are seeing, we have seen, I think, in the last quarter, and things are still moving, you know, that way, a number of restructuring, specifically in tech companies, you know, where I think there was a big increase in hiring, and now things are sort of falling into place. Perhaps a final note would be a note on remote work. Since the pandemic, a lot of things has happened. And we have had some changes in our provisions, even initially on remote work. And now I think we had, a, so we had, you know, previously we have had a significant change. But again, this, this decent work agenda also brought new provisions as far as that's concerned. And also we have had some measures on, you know, allowances for people working remotely, you know, how much should be tax exempt and so on. So, you know, there are a lot of things, you know, happening as far as this is concerned. So I I think I would keep it to this, although there are a number of other changes, but I think, you know, these just will give you an overview of the type of changes and how companies will actually have to react. Well, thank you, Helena. That was still pretty detailed, actually. If I would try to wrap all this up, I think mainly what I do see in what you have summarized for us today is that these are mainly employee-friendly new regulations that you've been talking about on the working from home, for example, or redundancy or severance packages, these kind of things. So this should be borne in mind, mostly employee-friendly. And also, I think it was interesting that you did stress that even though these are future new regulations, some of them would apply now, as you said, to existing situations, as you said at the very beginning of uh, your reply, particularly when you were talking about employment agreements, where some employers in Portugal would have to look at their existing uh, terms and conditions of employment contracts that are in place now. So thank you for that. The second question I would like to to go back to you, Pedro, and, and I do keep in mind, Pedro, by the way, that you did tell us a few minutes ago about this new change of government you might have in these important elections you're having coming up in March, but still bearing all this in mind, if we try to look at 2024, what are the changes you would see in terms of any updates or changes that could be anticipated and that would have a significant or big impact for HR in your jurisdiction in Portugal? If we would have to advise on certain topics that employers should be definitely paying attention this year, I think that it would be mostly connected to the priorities that are currently in top of the Portuguese political agenda. And those priorities will certainly be on the radar of the Labour Authority, um, who will pay definitely some significant attention to these topics. And with, uh, in all its activity, mainly regarding the inspective activity within the companies, we'll try certainly to look for the compliance with those certain topics. Maybe trying to give a few examples of what those topics are, I think that on the one hand, we would have to keep in mind that one priority currently is certainly try to, you know, investigate, prevent and fight against the misqualification of employment contracts. It was something that we have seen in the last year and that we are certainly continue to see that. So basically, the um, labor authority will be searching for contracts that the parties 
called service agreements or term employment contracts that may be seen otherwise by the labor courts or the labor authority. So this is not something, as you know, specifically that is happening in Portugal. It's happening uh, uh, where else, but in Portugal now is definitely a topic. And also on this note, it's also important to have in mind that the latest amendment of the Portuguese Labor Code has empowered this labor authority with a new, let's call it, weapons to pursue companies that might not be complying in this topic. And so currently the labor authority has a kind of a power that they may trigger a procedure for an ex officio recognition of an employment contract or a permanent employment contract. So what we are saying is that the labor authority may take the initiative to start a law proceeding against the company where Before that, it was only the employees who could start a proceeding against the company for this recognition. And so in our experience, actually, we are facing some very complex situations, even situations where the people who are working or rendering services don't want to be recognized as an employee because they have another employment contract or whatever. But even though these individuals and the companies agree on the nature of the contractual relationship they have, but the labor authority may deem that otherwise and start this proceeding. So this is something that will certainly continue this year. I would say probably there is also now a big topic in Portugal is also the prevention and the combat against harassment. And so there are now some obligations even for companies with a certain headcount, so above a certain number of employees, of setting forth specific codes of conducts regarding the harassment and also imposing an obligation to the employers of starting a disciplinary action in every situation that an harassment situation is reported. And still connected with this topic is regarding the whistleblowing. So we have also in Portugal and uh, following the European legislation on this, we have also, there has passed some specific legislation on this regarding some whistleblowing obligations to companies with a certain number of employees. I would say, just to give the floor to Elena, but also regarding other example that we would certainly, and we are advising our clients to take particular attention to this, is also regarding the monitoring of if whether the new companies are complying with this new legislation. And one thing that would be absolutely key on this is for companies to review their uh, templates and their drafts and their HR practices that would make sense until these new amendments enter in force. But now they would certainly have to be reviewed in light of these new exchanges. Only giving you an example on this, for instance, regarding the probation period, if it was not set forth in the employment contract, it still existed. So the probation period was the rule, but now it's not the case. So if the parties do not 
set forth in writing the duration of the probation periods and the conditions of those probation periods, there is a legal presumption that the parties didn't want a probation period to be enforced, and that would certainly cause some negative impacts regarding the HR management um, in the companies. Thank you, Pedro. That was very uh, thorough. Quite a few topics to be aware of and to be very cautious about. And I certainly heard what you said about harassment, the misqualification of employment contract, and particularly this power that you talked about for the Portuguese local administration to go into a, a kind of legal action and, and try to challenge the fact that a contract was a, deemed to be a service agreement by the parties. Well, actually, the Portuguese administration would say, aha, no, no. In our view, this is an employment contract. So thanks a lot for that. Helena, in a few words, would you like to add anything to what uh, your partner was saying? I would just add two other topics. One are gender pay gap issues. So mm -hmm. this is something that where the, the authority has started to be quite active because there is a scheme where the annual report on a number of uh, work conditions now triggers sort of a review of potential gender pay gap situations where companies are being notified to justify and to, if necessary, implement policies that guarantee that there is no unjustified pay gap basically on a gender basis. So that, I think, is one thing that companies should be looking into. And I'll just mention another, which is, again, remote work. And funnily enough, I think on two sort of contradictory ways. One is we are still seeing, and we have seen this, you know, all throughout 2023 and, and really before that, but we still see that, which is companies are now mainly looking for talent where talent lives. And therefore, we still find and we do find a lot of situations where we are sort of adjusting the fact that we have someone in Portugal, the talent is in Portugal, but the interested employer is elsewhere, be it the EU, be it the US or, or any other place in the world. And of course, it's finding the right choices not only for what law sort of governs that relationship between the parties, but things like social protection, occupational health, and all those issues. So I think that is one of the signs, and as I say, remote, and I said there are two sort of contradictory issues. One is this, that companies are looking for talent wherever talent is, and therefore we're seeing cross-border employment more and more. The other thing I think is, what we're seeing with companies that are gradually calling their employees back to the office. And a number of companies have sort of set 2024 as the year where they want their teams back on site. And this, of course, means introducing stricter in-office requirements in the policies and the remote work policies, and even drawing policies where, uh, you know, Before, we had no formal rules, but now those rules are being required. So, you know, last quarter and this month and what we expect for this first quarter with a number of clients we've been working is actually working on adjusting this new approach, uh, trying to get employees closer on site. Maybe, uh, Helena, the best way to resolve this dilemma you were talking about is for companies to have the best talents. On, on their site in Lisbon, the best talent all around the world in Lisbon, in Portugal, and no remote, uh, no remote work. 
I would like to conclude this podcast in the limited amount of time we have with you, Pedro. That's a traditional question we ask uh, our member firms. What would be the takeaways, the conclusion? What would you have in mind? Any practical tip uh, as to what employers in Portugal should be doing right now to remain, stay compliant or get prepared for any anticipated regulation for 2024? Let's start with you, Pedro. What would you say in a few words? Thank you, Philip. Uh, well, that's certainly a, a very interesting question. As always, we also learn from our own clients. And actually, we are trying to do some initiatives that were their idea, uh, actually. And that is basically to try to, in order for them to be prepared for this new legislation and to being able to handle all these topics and to be compliant is a kind of um, of course, that we we do our work regarding to uh, new alerts and just uh, uh, letting them know what has changed. Uh, we also try to give them some general uh, webinars, etc. But one thing that we are doing and that we find it very interesting is to do specific tailor-made trainings with our clients. This is uh, something that we are doing and it turns out to be very interesting, not only because we also learn a lot from them and from their industry, but also we can deliver a solution that is specifically meant for them and also regarding having in mind all the particular regulatory framework that they have to comply with and even their own uh, collective bargaining agreements. And so um, in a way, so also to review their collective bargaining agreements and to see how they were impacted with this new legislation. Is it completely enforced? Are there some topics that are no longer enforced because of this new legislation? And this also helps us to know the HR key employees in each company. So it's turning out very well. Some other actions that we are also doing and that have been a good reception from our clients is a kind of a to perform some preventive due diligence. So basically almost like our colleagues from the competition law doing in terms of a done right or something like that. So just to try to go to a certain company and to uh, we know by our experience what are the typical documents and the typical topics that if they are subject to an inspection from a labor authority, those kind of documentation that they will be searching for. And we can try to work with a given company and to see if the inspection is done today, how we were in terms of compliance with the different employment and HR topics, and also could help us help the company to identify where they are not complying or not fully complying, and also to try to help the client to comply with that and only for them to see what kind of sanctions in terms of being misdemeanors or some fines or whatever they could be facing in order to help them to have a good view regarding the obligations that they really need to comply with or the ones that they can take longer and they can adapt. So regarding the urgent ones and the, and the not so urgent ones. 
Well, Pedro, uh, truly lawyers uh, often complain about uh, with, cl with their clients about the fact that if you had told me before, I would have warned you and I would have told you not to do it this way. I would have told you about the sanctions you were facing. So it's certainly a good idea to try to deal with that if your clients agree with this approach, to deal with that up front and before the legal problem does occur. In a very few words, uh, Helena, do you have a specific takeaway for us as well today to close in the, this discussion and this podcast? Yeah, thanks. I think I would just add two notes. One is preparing for responsible AI use in employment context. And there is a lot that can already be done and prepared by companies. You know, there, is, there are a number of standards and a number of sort of self-checks that can be taken. And I think it is more than time that companies do prepare for that. So preparing for responsible use of AI in employment. And I think the other sort of line that I think should also be now in view is working on the social pillar of the ESG requirements. I think the environment and the governance pillars of ESG are those that are better known. I think the social pillar, so the S of the ESG, is probably the one that is being less regarded. And I think it's probably time that work in progress is actually done so that the social pillar of the ESG is boosted and that can make a difference for companies where they stand let's say in one year, six months time, one year. So I think, and, and of course, we know that the social pillar, it's based on policies, but it's based on awareness, it's based on culture, and that takes time. So I would probably just leave these two final notes. Well, thank you very much, Helena, for this. ESG is certainly a hot topic throughout uh, all over Europe and uh, the rest of the world, particularly in the employment uh, relationship. And thank you to both of you. We covered a lot of ground. You talked about a, this new piece of legislation, the decent work agenda, and we talked about remote work, severance amounts, AI, gender pay gap, qualification of employment contract, what is an employment contract, what is not an employment contract, prevention of harassment, and just a few minutes ago, a few seconds ago, ESG. So thank you to both of us. It's been a very dense, rich uh, discussion, Pedro and uh, Helena, and I hope and sure it will be helpful for employers listening to us today in uh, Portugal. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Philippe. It was a pleasure. Merci bien, Philippe, for this very pleasant conversation. Thank you. Well, Pedro, next time we will record a podcast in French language in that case. <laughs> If you would like to connect with Helena or Pedro, please click on their bios in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ELA.law, that's L-E-W, or download our app by searching Employment Law Alliance in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Additionally, check out training.ela.law to access our training portal featuring online harassment prevention programs and much more. Information about all the programs available in the Year in Review series and other resources are available on the event landing page at ELA.law. You've been listening to the Employment Law Year in Review Regional Roundtable, a series brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I am Philippe Durand. Thanks for listening.